Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. All right, I need everybody to stand up. Come on, if you're at home, stand up. Stand up. You, you, might, need to, you might need to move uh, out of the pew backs there. You might need to move to an aisle. I'm going to ask everybody to do a little something with me. All right, a little something that bring you back to your childhood, all right? A little something bring you back to your childhood. All right, here we go. I know not everybody's going to participate, but most of you might. Ready? We're gonna, how many of you know head, shoulders, knees, and toes? All right, here we go. All right, we're going we're gonna to shake off the tireds, the sleepies. Ready? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. Eyes, and ears, and mouth, and nose. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. Yay! I thought about, you can be seated, I thought about doing it really fast, but then I realized that, you know, some of us are getting older and we might not get back up again. <laughs> oh, I did that because the Bible uses an illustration to talk about the church, the illustration of the body, that as believers, as the family of God, as Christians that we're a part of, the body of Christ, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, eyes, and ears, mouth, and nose. All of us are a part of this thing called the body of Christ. And Paul uses that analogy of the body of Christ, both as we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll also see that he uses it in Romans chapter 12. He uses it in Ephesians and Colossians. Paul loved to use the analogy or the symbolism that, that we as believers are a part of a bigger unit called the body of Christ. And we're in this series we're calling Better Together, and we've been kind of exploring the idea of what the church is all about. That the church is not just individuals, it's not just your faith solo, it's not just uh, your faith private, but it's your faith in cooperation with others who share the same belief that Jesus Christ died to save us of our sin, that he shed his blood and he rose from the grave. Therefore, when you have that kind of faith in Jesus, it is not just a faith that belongs solely to you, but that you belong to the body of Christ. You belong to the family of God. Now, when it comes to the purpose of the church, there's a lot of misunderstandings that are out there. And um, uh, Tom Nelson, who serves as pastor of, of what's called Free Church, uh, he wrote a book called Ecclesia, Rediscovering God's Plan for the Church. And he identified four distorted images that people have when it comes to what is church? What's the church all about? Some people think the church is like a gas station. Um, and, and, you know, for some people, you know, it's a place where you come, you, you fill up your spiritual gas tank, right, to get you, to get you going through the week. And perhaps, the, the, you know, as you go through the week, uh, a lot of things happen and you get a little depleted in your spiritual tank. And so you come back to the fill-up station every week to get filled up again. The church is a gas station. 
Some people think the church is, is, a, is like a movie theater. It's a place that offers entertainment. It, it offers good music. It offers an encouraging, inspiring word. Hopefully when you come, you find a comfortable seat that you like to sit in. You sit back and you get a chance to kind of enjoy the show. You walk out smiling. What a great way to be entertained. Some people see the church, see the church as a drugstore. It's a place where you can fill up upon a prescription that will help you deal with the pain that you're dealing with. And, and for others, it's a, church is a place that's therapeutic. It just helps me feel better when I leave here. Some people see the church as a big box retailer, you know. It's a place that offers the, the best products, a clean and safe environment for yourself and perhaps your entire family. Uh, the church is a producer of programs for children and youth and everybody in between. Does it have something that, that, that fits what I need and, uh, and all of that? Now, these are all wonderful pictures and there's little bits of truth in each of them. However, they're incomplete about the way that the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, describes the church, describes the people of God, describes the fellowship. Uh, these kinds of things have one thing in common, and that is they tend to all be about me, about my needs, about what I want. Fill me up, entertain me, take my pain away, give me the programs that I'm looking for for my family. And the problem is, is that we have crossed over into the culture of our society, which is pure consumerism. Consumerism today has made its way into the church. And it's a mindset that's not only pervasive in our culture, but pervasive among believers when it comes to church. So today, I want to help us move away from some self-centered thinking about my faith or self-centered thinking about the church and begin to look at the picture that God gives us, and that is the picture of the church as his body. So Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 5, this is where Paul uses the illustration of the body in Romans. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Do you, do you see the, the connection at the end? We're a body made up of various members, but did you see the end? Each member belongs to all the others. Do you know that you belong to others? 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, Paul continues his illustration of the body. <clears throat> Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We, for we all are baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free, we're all given one spirit to drink. Even so, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So, Throughout scripture, we see an illustration that, that Paul gives that, that we are better together because the church is described as a body with many different parts and many different members. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Paul makes 30 references to the body of Christ. One source I read said this, in the ancient world, the human body was used by Stoics as an analogy for the world or the state composed of individual citizens. 
So he's taking an analogy from Greek culture, and he's saying, Let, let's sanctify this. Let me use this. Let me show you how this is used when it comes to Christ and his church. And so he takes this analogy, and rather than it representing the state or the world, it represents Christ. And in Ephesians, he, he tells us that, that Christ is the head of the body. He's the one who's directing the body. He's the head of the body, but the rest of the body is made up of many different parts as he directs. So what are the characteristics, what are the qualities that we see within these passages of Scripture when it comes to the body of Christ? And how do we understand this in terms of the fact that we are truly better together? The first, I think, is this, diversity. There's a lot of emphasis in our culture today on the area of diversity. But I've got to be honest with you, when I read through Scripture and when I read through these things, I've got to tell you God loves variety. God loves variety. Uh, On the heels of the discussion of spiritual gifts, in verse 12, Paul writes this, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. God loves variety. He, he, He loves to make us differently. We, we are made differently. You are different than me. I am different than you. When you look around, there is great power in diversity when we begin to appreciate how God has made us all in his image, but made us very differently and, and very unique, yet one. Our fingerprints or our thumbprints indicate the fact that we are different just by our our thumbprint just by our our fingerprint in fact i don't have my phone up here but how many of your phones have you you can unlock your phone just by looking at it right now it doesn't matter um i can i can try to dress up to look like you i can put on you know all kinds of things i can try to look like you but if i grab your phone and look at it it doesn't matter it's not recognizing because i don't have the same features that you have I'm different than you are. We we were made, wonderfully made. In fact, God created us diversely. Did you know that the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God created us with, with to be wonderfully diverse, a unique group of people because God loves diversity. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 mentions some of the diversity. There was diversity in religion, uh, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile. Uh, Gentiles were considered those who were kind of heathen. Those were the, on the outside. They, they weren't the called. They weren't the chosen were the Jews. They were considered God's chosen people. They were, they were Hebrews among Hebrews. It's why when Paul gives his pedigree, he says, I, I don't count joy in all of these things. I count it all as loss except for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and him crucified. They looked at their pedigree that I'm a child of Abraham, and because I'm a child of Abraham, I'm a part of that covenant, and there's something special about me. But they began to look down on, oh, those Gentiles. And yet, here in this passage, God says that when it comes to our faith in Christ, when it comes to that belief that Jesus Christ is the one who saves us, when we have been baptized into Christ and one spirit, the diversity begins to go away and we're no longer Jew or Gentile we are one in the name of Jesus we're one in the name of Jesus 
slave or free. That's an economic thing. Whether you are rich or poor when it comes to being in Christ, although there is great diversity, Christ loves us. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic standing. If you have received Christ, you are part of the body of Christ because God loves diversity. There's a variety of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says that, that there's all of these different spiritual gifts. And in verse 5, there's a variety of the operation of those gifts and how those gifts are, are, are used. And there's a diversity in verse 6 of the different activities of those gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 6. Why? Because God is a God of variety. If we were all the same, that'd be quite boring. That'd be boring. The description of the church as a body is more than a simple analogy. It's actually revealing a mystery. It's not a mere, the church isn't a mere organization. It's an organism. The idea of the body is that the church is an organism. That it's Christ's body is alive. It's alive and it's moving and it's active. And like the human body, it's an incarnation of unity within diversity. Romans 12, 4, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. There's a variety to us. We don't all have the same function. Not all of us are called to do the same things, but that doesn't mean, as we'll find out in a little bit, that we're any bit less essential to the body of Christ. We're not all the same. We are different. We have different personalities. We have different gifts. I mean, on this uh, Mother's Day, just remember, if you have uh, uh, several children in your house, how many of you know that you can, you can raise them the exact same way, but they're different, right? They, they're in the same house, and you look at them, and you go, I, I believe they all came from, from us. I think they have that, but this one is like really different than this one. And this one responds, this one, and this one, who, Lord, give us grace, right? There is, there is great diversity even within your own family. So think about the family of God. And, and yet at the same time, there are differences that we can begin to appreciate because God loves variety. So whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are older or younger, whether you are, feel like wedding vows, richer for poor, um, you know, different races or nationalities, God loves it. When we receive Christ into our lives, he brings that unique diversity together into one body. And when we are functioning under the headship and direction of the Lord Jesus Christ, look out, look out. The second quality of the body of Christ is, is that the body is connected. Each one belongs to all the other, right? Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to the others. And just like our human bodies are, are connected in some way that, that I don't have an arm that's severed away, but my hand and my arm are connected to my body and they're somehow connected to the head that is directing all of this crazy hand movement as I'm talking to you. 
So it is with Christ. It's not that we are disconnected through the blood vessels and nerves and and, and body systems. We are connected. So it is with Christ. When we understand this truth, we realize that our participation and obedience and taking our place in what God has called us to do, the place where he has called us to be in the body of Christ is important. And likewise, when we're unwilling to take our place in the body of Christ, it hurts the body. A parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 and 22 says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And then in verses 26 and 27, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And and, and one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There is great connectivity to the body of Christ. I mean, just think about it. When, When your back hurts, it's tough to do much of anything else. It takes greater effort in other parts. When one part suffers, every part suffers, right? When you bang your hand with a hammer, right? I, you, all you can think about is the thump, 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 like I have a heartbeat. <laughs> because we're connected. We're connected. Uh, you know, uh, there's a great illustration in nature. The, the redwood uh, trees in California are absolutely huge. And you would think that they would have a deep root system, but they don't. They actually have a very surface root system to pick up the surface water. So how do these massive trees stay up? Because their root system is all interconnected. And, and their root system supports one another. Rarely, if ever, do you see a redwood tree standing alone because it needs the support and the root system of being supported by every other tree. Each tree supports one another and supports the structure so that it can survive. In fact, Reader's Digest uh, wrote an article a while back called What Good is a Tree? And explains that, that even different roots, when they begin to touch one another, they, there is a fungus that develops in the soil and actually can reduce competition between them. In fact, their substance helps to link the roots of different trees, even of a dissimilar species together, so that the, the whole forest is linked together in some way. So if there is a, a water source somewhere, but not the other because of the fungus and the connectivity of the root system they can get what they need from the water and if another spot has the nutrients or the sunlight each one can get it because they are deeply connected sharing with one another and that's the notion that everything we do in the body of Christ, when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one suffers, we suffer with it because there is a deep connectivity in the body of Christ. We are connected. We belong to the others. I think it's why it was so hard and so difficult the last couple of years because we weren't meant to be isolated. We were meant to be connected. We are truly better together. Together. Third, every member is essential. 
Every member in the body of Christ is essential, and essential for its movement, for the movement that we have. How many know it's not an organization, it's an an organism, and there's movement involved within the body of Christ. There are times that you may feel as if your role is not important. When you take a look at the body of Christ, maybe you struggle to find your place or find a place where you feel as if you are valuable to the kingdom of God. Yet scripture tells us that that every person is valuable, not just those with an outgoing personality or an upfront talent that gets to make it on Sunday mornings on the stage. There is great value to everybody who is serving in the body of Christ. In fact, some of the most valuable people are the people who say, you know what, I'll serve in the nursery. I'll serve in kids' ministry. I'll love our kids. Some of the most valuable people are those of you who come early each week to be at the doors and to greet and to welcome people when they come. Some of the most valuable people are not in the positions where they're up front for everybody to see, but rather the behind the scenes, people that you never see that are making it possible for different things to happen around here. There's great value in the body of Christ. Every member is valuable. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 15 to 19. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body of Christ, It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Right? It would not be for that reason, it would not stop, or excuse me, not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? That's why there's value in diversity, right? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Try to smell through your ear, that's weird. That's weird. But in fact, God has placed the parts of his body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Every part is essential. Every one of you are essential to the kingdom of God. Every one of you are essential because we are better together. And God is the one who places us just where he wants us to be. He places us. Now, I want to share a modern-day parable. I've, I've shared it before. Have you been a part of some of the Discovering Gifts classes that we've had or, or different things? I've shared this parable before, and I just absolutely love it. So I'm going to share it again. And so if you've heard it again, uh, if you hear it again, maybe it'll be a good reminder um, to you. Once upon a time, the animals of the forest decided that they needed to do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world that they were living in. And so they got together and they organized a school. And they adopted an activity curriculum uh, of running and climbing and swimming and flying. And so to make it easier to administer this curriculum, uh, they, they decided that all of the animals would take all of the subjects. And so the duck was excellent at swimming. I mean, really good at swimming class. In fact, better than his instructor. But he made only passing grades in flying and very poor grades in running. And since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school every day to practice running. 
And this caused his webbed feet to become so badly calloused and, and worn that he became only an average swimmer. But average was quite acceptable, and nobody worried about that except for the duck. And the rabbit, the rabbit was top in his class of running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because he had to make up so much work in swimming. In fact, the squirrel was excellent at climbing, but encountered constant frustration in flying class because uh, his teacher made him start from the ground instead of up at the treetops. He developed Charlie horses for overexertion, so he only got a C in climbing and he only got a D in running. The eagle, uh, the eagle was a problem child all the way around. Became severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. I mean, in climbing class, he beat all the others to the top, but insisted on doing it his own way and getting there on, on his own. But you know, the moral of the story is a simple one. It's simply this. Every creature has its own set of capabilities. Frustration comes when we are, when we are to fill a mold that we haven't been created to fill. And what's true in the creatures of the forest is true for us as believers as well in the body of Christ that God has not made us all the same. It is okay for you to discover how God has made you, how God has created you, how God has woven together uh, your personality along with your gifts and your ability and your passions and your heart and your experiences and your spiritual gifts and woven you together and it may look different. It will look different from me and it'll look different from somebody sitting next to you. But it is not that it is not essential. Every part is essential in order for the body of Christ to be what, what, what God has created it to be. You are essential. You're essential. Friends, remember, rabbits don't fly, eagles don't swim, ducks look funny climbing. Squirrels don't have feathers, so stop comparing yourself to somebody else. God has made you valuable, a valuable part of his body. It's why Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're essential. You're essential. You have a particular role to play. You're essential. And just like every organ is essential to the health of your body, so every believer is essential to the body of Christ. You're essential to this church. And God paid, uh, paid a high price to redeem your life. The, the fourth quality is simply this. Active. Every part of the body is active. If you take a look at, at, at Romans chapter 12, 6 to 8, it says this. We have different gifts. We just talked about that. According to the grace given us. So our gifts are a grace that have been given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If serving, let him serve. If teaching, let him teach. If encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Did you see that over and over again? Let him do it, right? Let him use it. Use it. Serve. Teach. Encourage. Contribute. Give. Govern. Show mercy. 
and do it cheerfully. Those are all action words. This is not a passive This is not a passive thing. Being a part of the body of Christ is not a passive thing. It's not for you to sit on the bench and watch what others do. That's movie theater faith. Let me come in and be entertained. Let me come in and enjoy the programs. Let me come in and let everybody, you know, everything meet my needs. And as long as it's better than the church down the street, then I'll keep coming. But the moment the church down the street has a better program that I can sit on the bench and better people who are involved and better volunteers that are doing what I want them to do, then, 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 you know, then I'll, then I'll go there, but, but I'll stay there until somebody else does it better. And then we got this, this is doing this and this is, and this is over here. And we enter into the consumerism of our culture. There are no bench players in the kingdom of God. There is something that God is calling you to do. There is something that you can do. If physically you're not able to do some of the things that others can do physically, you can certainly pray. You can pray. You can encourage. I know we all have phones. You can pick up the phone And you can give someone a call who you haven't seen or who God placed on your heart in prayer. You can pick it up. You can call and you can encourage. But pastor, I thought that was your job. (laughs) Imagine how powerful it would be if everybody just simply started to care for three or four people around them. And picked up the phone and called them. But pastor, I don't know. I don't see them. Maybe they're in second service and I just don't know. Does it matter? Does it matter if they're in first service or second service? Does that cause us to be any less a part of the body of Christ or you to have any less of a friendship or an ability to pick up the phone and send them a call or pick up the phone and send them a text or, or, or get on social media and send them a message? All of us are essential. All of us need to be active in the body of Christ. If God has gifted you to serve, friends, then serve. If he's gifted you to teach, then teach. If he's made you an encourager, then encourage. Encourage somebody. Encourage somebody. One of my favorite people in the Bible um, is Barnabas. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible. Barnabas was someone that, that was, was not an apostle. He, he wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He was someone that came to faith in Jesus. He had become a, a deacon and a leader in the church. He was sent by the church to a, a place called Antioch, where among the Gentile believers, there was a move of God that had taken place. And he was sent to go, what are they doing over there? Make sure this thing is right. And it's not some like weird off thing. And when he went there, he realized they needed discipleship. So he said, you know what? I'm an encourager, but I need somebody who is a teacher and a discipler. So he went and got a hold of a guy by the name of Saul, who later his name was Paul. His Gentile name was Paul. And so he called this guy and, and he said, hey, will you come to Antioch and help me? And so Paul began to come to Antioch and, and with with, with Barnabas's encouragement, Paul came to Antioch and together they began to disciple the people within the church and great things began to happen and the church in Antioch continued to grow. You can read about it in the book of Acts. 
And then at one point, the Spirit came upon and said, set apart for me Saul, or Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to do, to go and to reach the Gentiles. And so they were called and sent on a missionary journey. And like they did with all their missionary journeys, they didn't go by themselves. They invited others to come along. One was, was a guy whose name was John Mark. And John went with them on their, their first missionary journey, but along the way, the, mission, the missionary journey was tough. There was persecution. There was opposition. And somewhere along the line, John Mark abandoned them and didn't continue with them. And they end up back in Jerusalem to kind of regroup and kind of like they do missionaries, they go and then they come home, what they call on furlough, and they give a report of all the things that God has done, and they're fundraising, and they're talking about what God has done. And then they're getting ready to go back out, and they were ready to go back out on a second missionary journey. And, and, and John Mark wanted to go again with them, and Barnabas wanted to go, and Paul said, no, 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 he abandoned us the first time, I'm not taking him. There's some other people I'll take, but I'm not taking him. And there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Paul had a different way of looking at things than Barnabas did. Paul did not, Paul recognized ministry was tough, and if this guy's not tough enough, I don't want him holding us back. I don't want us having to worry about him. He's not coming with us. And Barnabas said, come on, man, give him a second chance. I mean, you were given a second chance. You were a murderer. Come on, give him a second chance. Paul says, I give a second chance, but I'm not giving him a second chance. I, I don't know how the conversation went. It's not like that in scripture, but you know what? You get the idea. There was such a sharp disagreement that then the relationship between Paul and, Paul, Paul and Barnabas was, was severed a bit, and they went their separate ways. Paul went on his second missionary journey, and, and, and Barnabas went, and he took John Mark along with him, and they went to an area called Cyprus. But, but, but what I'm trying to encourage you is, is that as Paul went, he used his gifts. He brought along with him guys like Silas and guys like Timothy and Titus and others and began to see a great work. And God used Barnabas to bring John Mark and they began to see fruitfulness. So much so that John Mark's faith was encouraged once again. And we wouldn't have the gospel of Mark if it hadn't been for Barnabas saying, I'm not giving up on you, John Mark. I'm not going to do what Paul did. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to use my gift of encouraging and be active. So much so that the relationship between Paul and John Mark was restored at one point because we see that in, in, first, in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul was requesting for Mark to come because he was a great benefit and support to him. That's the power of using your gift. So Barnabas was not the upfront teacher person, but he was the encourager person to encourage others in using their gift. And John Mark had a writing gift that he began to use. Maybe he wasn't the missionary gift, but he had the writing gift. And Barnabas was able to identify the different gifts in different people and use the gift of encouragement that God had given him. And friends, God has given you gifts. Maybe your gift is simply to serve. Maybe your gift is to encourage. Maybe God has blessed you and your gift is to help provide and give the resources that are needed to see ministry and missions of God's kingdom move around the world. Maybe God has gifted you to teach. Stop sitting on the bench. We need teachers. One of the slowest things to come back are volunteers and teachers in kids' ministry. I hear it from pastors all over the place, post-COVID. 
If God has gifted you to teach, we want to talk with you. If God has gifted you to serve, if you are friendly, I can tell you that Pat and Lynn would love for you to join the hospitality team. If you like to make coffee, Bruce would like to put you in the coffee area. Is it going to mean a little bit of sacrifice? Will I have to sacrifice a little bit of my time to be able to do it? Absolutely. But David said, I'll not offer the Lord that which cost me nothing. It's so easy to come in here and, oh, praise you, Jesus, and walk out and have absolutely no cost to ourselves when it comes to serving the Lord. So my question is, what has God put in your heart to do? Because the truth is, we are better together. We are better together. Worship team, will you come? As a church, we're the body of Christ. Each one of us is different, but we are connected and we are essential. There is great variety and diversity, but every part of us is connected, essential, and there is power when we are active and using our gifts to serve the Lord. Helen Keller once said this, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Together we can do so much. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today. Thank you today for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I know that the enemy can bring discouragement. And I, I just believe that there might be some here that are just saying, where can I fit in? Who am I? How can I possibly contribute? The enemy loves to try to make us feel as if we are not important or that we are undervalued. But Lord, every person in here is essential because you gave your life for them. And Lord, you have a place for every one of them to serve. So Jesus, I pray that you will just begin to move and you will begin to encourage and you will begin to reveal areas, Lord, where each of us can take our place of serving and active in the body of Christ. I thank you for the diversity in this body. I thank you, Lord, for each person each person that you have saved, each person that you have called to be a part. And I pray, Father, that today you would inspire us, Lord, to follow after you and what you've put in our hearts to do. I just want to pray for you right now. If you are here and maybe you are just struggling and, and uh, I just don't know where I fit. I just don't know my place. I just... I'm struggling in that way, and you would want us to pray. Will you just slip up your hand and let us pray for you? I just need prayer. I'm trying to figure out, where's my place? Where do I serve? Where am I at? Yeah, Jesus, I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak. Speak to your people, Lord. Those that are raising their hands, I pray that you would encourage them, that you have a place, Lord, that, that Lord, you know where you have them. You know, Lord, that they're a valuable part of your body. Jesus, we are better together because of you. And Lord, each person is essential. Jesus, we just thank you that we can be a part of your body. And we give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we... Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information, about Painesville Assembly of God, 
visit PainesvilleAG.com.